0: Welcome to the Berkeley Innovation Podcast, brought to you by Berkeley Engineering's Sitarja Center for Entrepreneurship and Technology, SCET, on the thriving campus of the University of California, Berkeley. Hello, friends. This is Stephen Torres, your host on this journey of entrepreneurship, innovation, and achievement. In this Foundercast episode, a group of Berkeley students interviews Anna Lee. Anna is the technical co-founder of Lioness, a woman-led sexual health startup. They've actually built the world's first and only smart vibrator that improves understanding of sexual pleasure and body through biofeedback data. In the episode, she shares her journey and their mission to help expand the research of sexual health and destigmatizing female sexuality. Let's get right to this amazing episode.
1: We're so excited to have Anna Lee here with us today. Anna is a Berkeley alum and a co founder and the VP of engineering at Linus. She was also named one of 2020's Forbes 30 Under 30 in consumer technology. Anna, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and a little bit more about Linus?
2: Yeah, of course. So I'm Anna. I'm the co founder of Linus. We are a women and people's vagina. Sexual health company that built the first and only smart vibrator that actually lets you see your orgasm and pleasure data to help you improve and make your orgasms better over time. How I ended up in this, this is, you know, I definitely didn't grow up being like, I want to build vibrators for a living. I actually graduated as a mechanical engineer at Cal and I worked at Amazon for a little bit. And then, just in life's funny ways, I ended up working on this startup. And so it's been about five years now.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Anna. So we're just wondering, how did you come up with the idea of Lioness?
2: You know, so I've actually always been like very shy and uncomfortable with my own body for many years, well into I think my mid-20s. And I think it comes a lot from like, you know, I grew up in an immigrant Korean family where we were very conservative, very religious, and we have really never talked about sex. So It's one of those things when you don't know what you don't know. And so like wondering if your body is normal, is it not normal? And while I was working at Amazon, I ended up meeting a founder of a different sex toy company that's no longer in existence, but he was this guy and he was talking about this technology and I was like, how do you know what you're building works for women? Like, how do you know that it's a good product? And he was like, you know, there's this industry standard where you put the vibration on your nose and that's like what a clitoris feels. And I just remember being so mind blown to realizing this whole industry is very traditionally male driven. So it's kind of like the stereotype you see where the dimly lit stores where you see these pink and purple glitter butterfly vibrators with adult film actresses splayed on the packaging. it's clearly there's a gap in how we design products especially that's something so intimate that we're not actually building by the people that use it and so with that i ended up meeting my two co-founders now and they were going around this idea of building this ai vibrator that moves and adjusts as you use it started with that and i was like you know i have mechanical engineering i can do manufacturing i know how to do design for manufacturing let me help you build this out and so I started out as a side project while still working full time at Amazon, and then it just became one of those things where you are doing too many hours of too many things, and I just decided to make the full switch. That makes a lot of sense. So, working at the side project part time eventually progressed into you starting your own startup. Have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? I have never wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, honestly, for me, I was born in the U.S., but I moved to Korea when I was a baby and I lived there till I was seven and then I moved back to the U.S. So for us, it's the idea of like they come with nothing but give you an opportunity for the American dream. And so for me, the whole thing was like, one, go to a good college, two, pick a really good major, three, work in a corporate, whatever, for the rest of your life. And so I really thought that was kind of like my plan. So no, I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of students at Berkeley had that plan for themselves as well. Did your experiences at Cal and Amazon help you in creating your own company? Yeah, you know, we laugh about this a lot because we're part of Skydeck. And so, you know, there's a lot of Cal alums and people associated with Cal. Cal engineering department has to be one of the hardest things I have ever done and like faced in terms of feeling stressed and feeling like you don't know anything. And so... I will say Cal really prepares you to navigate really stressful situations, which I think is hilarious. It's, it's a lot of feeling like there's nobody that's going to help you except yourself and you find a good group of people that can help you through the journey and startup life has been exactly similar. So Cal's very helpful in that sense. <laughs> I think we've all felt that way at Cal one time or another. We also want to ask you about your team. How exactly did you find your co-founders? I actually didn't know my two co-founders before we started this company. It actually ended up being my roommate, who was my roommate in college. We continued to room together after we graduated. She's working on her own startup. And she's the one who was just like, oh, you know, there's these two people that I've met in the startup scene. Can I introduce you to them? Like, they need some mechanical engineering help. And so I wasn't asking for anything. Like, I was like, I just want to help for free, like for fun. And we started kind of building this relationship and just... Knowing that they're trustworthy people. And for me, the most important thing about me making the jump to being an entrepreneur was that I wanted people that are genuine in a mission and they really believe that there's some change that we can do for good in this world. I saw it through working with them throughout this whole process. And so That's how I ended up deciding to be co-founders with them. And then on top of that, as we hire people, even with like interns, uh, we look for really passionate people, whether they have a degree or not. We just look for hustlers who like doing side projects, who like doing things because they're just genuinely interested in it. Those
1: are definitely important qualities to look for in a team. In your opinion, what would you say are the most important aspects of your team?
2: So we're a super small company. We're three co-founders and two full-times. We're all so close with each other at this point. So just continuing to build that relationship and having people have a good time, making sure they're always learning and letting people grow in the ways they want to grow. So I would say everyone's in it because they're truly passionate about destigmatizing female sexuality and also increasing the research around female sexual health. So everyone comes in with that passion. And so I think that's what keeps us all cohesive.
3: Would you say you built this culture in an intentional way or was it more of a result of all of the individuals?
2: Yeah so I would say actually the one of the things that I find a blessing for me was because I was able to work at Amazon before and they are big on making sure culture and that there's the leadership principles that you follow. So for me it was really important that whatever I built it feels like a weight on the shoulder of like it's a female-led company that's in technology it's in the silicon valley space so setting a good example is felt like a really big thing for us and there's so many toxic cultures that tend to happen in the startup space for us it came from us really wanting to build something that was truly genuine in culture so we do a lot of like culture conversations and talking about like diversity inclusion like what that actually means in our startup and how we continue to build it. That's one of those big things is like, yeah, a team of five feels really small, but if you don't build it early, it's so much harder when you have a team of like 10 and 50 to start building it then. We do pretty actively make sure that the culture is something people want to continue to stay in.
3: It's actually really nice. We've been learning a lot about this in our class And we've seen so many examples of things going wrong, but it seems like you got it on track. So I'm glad to hear. I want to pivot a little into more of like the specific mechanics of starting and creating a company. So you um, use a specific design process when you were actually building your first prototype and the physical product itself?
2: I would say that is a lot of making sure you're building the right product, doing like the continuous user interviews of like, does this work, is this something you want? And we've maybe did over, I would say 300 different iterations and prototypes, anything ranging from paper models, to clay models, to 3D models, to 3D printing, to looks like prototypes works like prototypes so we really did a full range for example we started with an ai vibrator that would change like the vibration the movement and as we start to talk to more people and like give them works like prototypes people are always like yeah it's kind of interesting but i already know what i like and don't like so i'm not super interested in it moving for me but then they would ask the question of like how are you even figuring out how this stuff should move and so we started showing them the data behind what we're collecting. And they're like, that's really interesting. I want to see more data about myself and see what's working for me, what's not working for me. So that was kind of a big pivot point for us to realize that we weren't building the right product at that moment. And just kind of pivoting to make sure it was something that was more valuable for customers and consumers.
3: So one of the biggest key aspects of the product actually came out of customer interviews. hundred um, percent, yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about the machine learning behind it and the data side of things?
2: Yeah, so the way the vibrator currently works, there's two biofeedback sensors embedded into the shaft of the vibrator. So what they are, they're pressure sensors. So what we're collecting is pelvic floor movements. So what we're seeing is people use the vibrator completely like normal, but when you're done, you pair it to your phone and you're actually able to see that graph of how you're squeezing and relaxing. So right now what we're doing is showing that data, showing when it's longer or they're squeezing and relaxing at a stronger pace. And it kind of will help indicate like, oh, that day I had a cup of coffee and that affected it. We've had actually like even athletes that have used it and they're like, hey, I think something's wrong with my vibrator. And as we like went through troubleshooting with them, we found out like you know, there's nothing wrong with the firmware the software side or the hardware. Is there anything that happened to you on this date? And they were like, oh, I had a sports injury. I had a concussion. And so their whole data like started flatlining the day they had a concussion. And as they went to physical therapy, they saw the graphs come back to normal. And so kind of being able to track that and continue to roll out different features for the vibrator on through the app and pushing firmware over. Like for this year, we're rolling out where it's going to automatically indicate where we think the orgasm probably was or where you're the most aroused, So you can really start getting that data and then pulling insights through that. So we're continuing to build different AI and technology into the already existing vibrator.
3: And how would you say you translate all of this development into the marketing side of things? Because it's one thing to actually get the feedback from the customer, but then you'll sort of have to give them back what they were asking. And a lot of times they don't know what they're looking for.
2: For sure. So I definitely am on the camp. Most people don't know what they want. So when you scattershot a question where it's like, what would you want to see in, I don't know, the world of food delivery? It's so broad that you'll just start getting people spitballing all these different kinds of ideas. So I will say it does have to come from intentions of what you think is thoughtful design. And for us, we built originally different things for that we wanted to see, like founders, and then getting feedback from that point of like, oh, I wish the motor was stronger and realizing that people are so different in ranges of motor strengths or sizes or things like that. So starting to iterate from that process. But it's definitely a challenge finding that balance of everybody is different. Everyone's going to have an opinion on what it should do or shouldn't do. But at the end of the day, it's about making decisions that make sense and that you believe fully in. But because we consider ourselves women's health, but we're still categorized under pornographic content. So it's actually a really interesting thing to try to market this industry because you can't do traditional advertisement channels like Facebook, Google and all of that. So Although we're consumer hardware, we're always finding new ways to actually do the marketing around it.
3: I'm always one of the most creative ways you actually discover to like work around this constraint.
2: So I would say the biggest one for us is using SEO as our best friends. People are always googling certain terms to learn more about something. So, for example, how do I masturbate, or like how do I edge, or like different techniques you can do. So we actually figure out what the key things are that people are searching for most often that aren't well dominated by the porn space. So we never want to compete with them because they pump tons of money and also it's really hard to rank against them. And usually if people are looking for pretty pornographic terms, it's hard to actually bring those customers. They might not be the right people to pull into your website. So we look for more educational base and we write a lot of content for that. All the co-founders, we all write content kind of around those kind of things. We've tried to get the right kind of people finding our articles, getting interested, being like, oh, there's this like cool vibrator that can actually see, you can see the data behind it and pulling them in through that.
3: Got it. Obviously, starting a company is a difficult process. And I want to learn a little bit more about, you know, the difficulties you faced and some of the obstacles that came up as you were building your company.
2: We always laugh because we probably chose one of the hardest spaces to be in because one, we're in Silicon Valley. Two, most of us are women founders. Three, we're in the sex tech industry. And then on top of that, we're in consumer hardware, which is a very unsexy space to be in for a lot of investors at this point. So it's definitely not a cakewalk for us for most of the time. Not everybody is going to understand why we built the company or the product that we did. So we always face, I think, really interesting things. I think when we first started this company five, six years ago, we had a hard time even opening a bank account because we were categorized under being pornographic and banks not wanting to associate with that. Going to VC meetings where it's, you know, mostly the older skew of male-dominated VCs and bringing a vibrator and they're like, I'm not touching that or being like, I don't see why women need vibrators or just whatever. All of those things, I think, become very interesting. So there's definitely a lot of times we hear a lot of no's because people feel uncomfortable with what we do. So yeah, it's it's really fun, honestly, because it is kind of playing the game, but we get to have a lot of fun with how we navigate and figure out little fun ways to kind of find loopholes or find interesting guerrilla ways to do the things we need to get done.
3: Did you ever consider giving up? Or were you in a lot of self doubt at any point?
2: I mean, I think all co-founders will tell you to have moments where you're like <laughs> awake in bed at like three in the morning and being like, what am I doing with my life kind of thing. Our first year when we started, we all took no pain. So we were all just dipping into our savings and I would say even to this day, we're all paying ourselves below market rate, so that we can do the things that we want and invest more into our company. So there's definitely times where, you know, people are buying houses or having kids and all of these things and being a founder, there's a lot of challenges around it, but I kind of consider it like tuition of my education continuing because I've learned probably more than I ever imagined in my lifetime that I would learned in the past five years.
3: So would you say this continued learning is what really kept you going at those difficult times or were there other factors as well?
2: So we launched our product about two years ago, officially on the market. Like how many emails and just messages we get of people that just thank us for like what we've built or encouraging us to continue this research. Female sexual pleasure research hasn't really expanded since the 1980s. And one of the biggest studies that people and OBGYNs still use to this date is a study done in 1980s with a sample size of 20 women. So if we really think about what that means and how we were basically basing 20 women data for the entire U.S. and the world, it's crazy how much we don't know. And so I think the encouragements of people just paying us, women that are in their 70s and being like, I've always fallen comfortable with my own body. I've never been able to have an orgasm. And like you guys bringing this platform to be able to self-explore without feeling like it has to always be a sexual experience, been a really rewarding thing to know that we're building, I think, the right product.
3: Did you ever face any like very tough decisions while building the product, managing the company?
2: One of the big questions I think all startups feel, I think, especially in your first five years, sometimes I'm always like, oh my God, I can't believe I've been doing this for five years. And a lot of old timer entrepreneurs are like, five years is when you're just getting started with a good part, like where you're starting to really figure out. I think the first five years you're deciding whether you're default alive or default dead. So it's a lot of, is this not going to work. Are we not going to make it? how much money do we have in the bank account? Can we run payroll? So I think every entrepreneur goes to that moment of like, is this when we call it? There's a very specific Starbucks in Oakland that I am very, I don't know if fond of is the right word, but we've definitely had a lot of deep talks at one point of like, do we need to shut down this company? Is this going to work? But I think I will agree now that we're past the five years, it is that moment of we're default alive. And so now we get to kind of have more fun with it and not have to stress about that as
3: I see. I have one last very practical question for you. It's on the minds of a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, and it's how you get funding, especially with a difficult product from the VC perspective.
2: So I think there's definitely different answers. I would say most high level if you're building something that more in the traditional Silicon Valley space like B2B SaaS or whatever. I would play the game of like getting to know as many investors as possible, getting to know people that know people, building relationships over time and kind of expanding in that sense. For us, the people that are doing kind of a little bit offbeat, I would say you got to find the weirdos, the dreamers in this world that kind of have a different perspective and believing in your idea beyond like traditional VC. And so for us, like the people that invested in our company have been like the beautiful weirdos, the beautiful believers, and all of that. So I think there's definitely different ways you can play this. I think if you also look up like, should I get VC money and stuff, there's a lot of different opinions on that as well. So knowing that that's not always the route that you have to take. A lot of people like it as like social proof, feeling like you're doing the right way. But at the end of the day, that's why we do college. And that's why we graduate with a major. That's why we do like graduate school, all of that, because it feels a lot of times like the right path but it's not always the answer right and a lot of times it's the founders who've dropped out of high school or college that kind of make that not cool until someone actually does it and then people all think it's really amazing so being okay with just finding your own path to building something
4: yeah that's really interesting and like i think it's really interesting to hear about also about the journey how you have actually been able to make like cloud of nonsense about like actual like solutions finding the journey further and and I think in that kind of situation, sort of one thing that is keeping that team together is values. So what kind of values have you had during this journey?
2: So actually it's funny because when people ask like what my biggest regret not doing in college is, is actually taking more humanities courses, especially in philosophy. Because it's actually really interesting because you'll run into a lot of situations where it's kind of a philosophical question of like moral good and moral bad. And I definitely think you have to build the team that you trust will always make decisions in the best intention possible. And so for us, if you talk to my different co-founders, we all have very different personalities, but I like to come from a very honest, like real journey of like the start of life. For me, it needs to have a humanness behind how we build something. And I think especially as engineers, it's easy to forget. Like my stress state is to get super analytical, super just like numbers driven, like well, we're not doing this decision because the numbers don't make sense. But I think I genuinely trust my entire team. And so when we do have difficult roadblocks and like how we decide on values and what's real for us, I think we do lean on each other to make sure we make the right decisions.
4: I think it's like really interesting. to also hear that you have this kind of like values behind here. So how do you combine that with like metrics that you use for like measuring success? So what kind of metrics have you had to measure your own success?
2: So, I mean, at the end of the day, like we need to make money to continue as a company and continue to sell products. So our biggest metric would be like the number of sales that we have and the number of engaged users we have, the number of data that we actually are able to have aggregate anonymized data sets of so that we can actually do research and work with sex researchers to build on that. So, you know, at the end of the day, like we are still trying to be a company that can sustain on its own.
4: Then you have to think about when you have accomplished things and actually reach the next goal. Are you usually like purely about the numbers or like do you have individual level goals that you also Mm. like keep the team going on?
2: So I think it's definitely a mix of both. I will say like as an engineer background, my natural state is to be very analytical and very numbers driven. Amazon is also all about like everything needs to be proved by data facts. So like everything needs to be data driven and every decision you need to make has to have a reason behind why you make those decisions. So we kind of do an interesting mix of both. I would say like for example right now we've currently basically have the largest data set of female sexual orgasm or pleasure data in the world. And so What can we do with that data is that because it's all anonymized and aggregate, we're starting to partner with academic researchers who can actually put out new research studies and give people, one, the excitement of like, oh, I want to buy this product so I can be a part of that study and this huge movement. People that are genuinely driven by that mission but also it comes with our natural mission of pursuing more research around this aspect. So it kind of plays into both. And so I think we do a pretty good job of making business decisions that one makes sense for us in terms of like financial growth and all of that and company growth, but also continuing to grow on our brand and mission and everything that encompasses that.
4: Yeah, I think one interesting thing is as part of you are building a startup. So usually you're always aiming to maintain that as fast approach as possible. So how do you actually make sure about the individuals and their work life balance? And could you also tell a bit more about how has been the actual the life of like startup entrepreneur?
2: I would say we're generally pretty good about work life balance, giving people the space they need. And we're very good about respecting each other's space and time. I would say the way I like to structure our conversations at meetings is like there's times where we're doing a marathon. So we kind of find milestones and we work towards them in a longer length of time. But there's moments where we're doing sprints. So there's times where we're doing that one or two month where everybody is just all hands on deck, pushing as fast as we can. And so There's definitely those days where you're working probably a little bit more insane hours than you hope. And then also because you're working across international time zones, like taking calls at like four in the morning or just anything to make it work. And so it's the beauty and the psychoticness of a startup is that the way you move fast is because all of us are just all hands on deck at all hours when we need to be, but I think we do a pretty good job of balancing it, honestly. To me, being a startup, it's a marathon at the end of the day. You can't burn yourself out. And we've definitely done that where we've burned ourselves out. And for a month, we're all just, I don't know, like (laughs) traumatized. So we're pretty good about finding that balance and like figuring out hobbies and stuff outside of work.
1: You mentioned your family and your parents a bit earlier. So I was wondering what their thoughts were on you leaving your more comfortable corporate job at Amazon to pursue a startup, especially one in a more unconventional industry?
2: Yeah, that is my favorite story to tell. So I actually didn't tell my mom for a long time after I quit my job. She knew that I was like working on something, but I didn't tell her what. Eventually I did tell her that I quit my job, but I also didn't tell her that I was starting a startup. And eventually she was like, oh, like, can I come visit you? Like, I just want to see if you're doing okay. And all of that, it kind of comes with a bunch of different things I experienced sexual trauma as a child and so she knew of it but she didn't know the full extent of what that meant. She knew that it affected me in some way but we never talked about it. So it was one of those things where you sweep under a rug and you just are like we're gonna move forward and pretend it never happened. So when she came to visit me I took her to our office. I showed her what we were building. I told her why I was so passionate about wanting to build this company And she was really quiet. I was very ready for her to be just very disappointed that everything I built was kind of thrown away. And so she was really quiet. And she was like, you know, I used to have a vibrator when I was younger. And I was like, oh. And so for the next two hours, we talked about like our sex lives, like when I lost my virginity and all of these different conversations. And at the very end of it, she was like, I always wanted to know and ask you if you were ever okay. But I was too scared to ever bring up that conversation. And so she said, this was a moment where she finally kind of got to make peace with being like, are you okay? Whatever happened in your childhood, like, are you okay? And I was able to be like, yeah, this is my way of embracing it and healing from it. At the end of the day, talking about sex with your parents is still horribly disgusting, but I think it was one of the best outcomes I could have had. I mean, of course, my parents still are like, you know, when are you going to start making money? Like, when are you going to get a real job? So they're not super into it, but to know that they get it and they fully know what I'm doing, I don't have to hide it. It's definitely a big drive for me to know that I can keep continuing doing this. And I always tell people at the end of the day, your family just wants to know that you're happy and that you're safe and you're going to be okay. And so being able to do that, I think has been like a good balance. I think growing up Asian, it's really hard to be best friends with your parents and I'm still scared of them a lot of times. So it's good to kind of have had that moment because I think we would have never had it otherwise.
1: Where do you see Linus going in the next couple of years?
2: We say we're always a female sexual health company. So there's a lot of different things we can do that's beyond just a rabbit style vibrator. It's just one of the first products that we rolled out, but there's so many different body types and different people that need different things to help them indicate different parts of their body, especially when you're going through post-pregnancy, post-menopause, or just newly discovering your body. So There's definitely a lot that we can expand on that we haven't been able to do yet. We're going to continue to roll out different products as well as continue to pursue as much research as possible to put out there in the world.
1: Could you tell us a little more about the research side of the company, especially if there's any current ongoing research?
2: We've done a lot of marketing studies. For example, going back to strategizing how we market in this, one of the big things is a lot of people search cannabis and how it affects sex lives. But cannabis is also interesting because they are also in a category that's pumped with so much money, but they also cannot do traditional advertising or like open bank. account. I kind of made the thing together of like, well, we're kind of in the same page. And so we started partnering with cannabis companies where they can do marketing studies with their customers, like how using this strain or this. CBD lube or THC lube has affected their arousal or something like that. So we started with doing marketing studies, but now we're trying to partner with academic researchers who can actually take the data or have our users opt into their study so they can actually find different things they're genuinely interested in doing. One of the big things is the departments at universities for sex research is constantly defunded because they don't want to be known as the sex schools. A lot of it comes from stigma, so they're constantly defunding researchers from doing research around that field. The device that they usually use is like a couple thousand dollars that they put in, usually two into the vagina, and they're kind of collecting the same data that we are doing. So for us to be able to give an opportunity to do something that's a lot cheaper and more cost effective that they can use as the data platform, we are not funding any of these projects because then it becomes a skewed study and skewed research. So it's basically us helping them guide the data or being able to use our platform to find users that might be interested in opting into their research. We're hoping to especially see things in the pattern with the way they orgasm. We've seen is really different. So like how your vaginal walls are squeezing and relaxing can be very different from one person to another person. Some people are rhythmic up and down. Some people have a high explosion of force and it comes down. And some people start really high and they have this like trickle down. We've seen everybody's a little bit different and then figuring out what that means and why that might be existing is a good place to start because a lot of times people don't know if they're actually having orgasms or not. So figuring out maybe you're having a different style of orgasm that's not normally talked about.
5: That's really interesting. Well, everyone knows that COVID-19 has had an immense impact on everyone's lives. Could you tell us more about how you and your team has responded to the current situation?
2: It's interesting because I think everybody in this world doesn't really know what's going to happen. And right now we're probably in a pretty scary time with the unemployment rates being just like insanely high, a lot of small businesses struggling. You know, we've seen like a little bit of a drop in our sales and all of that as well. And it's figuring out like how we survive as a small business. At the same time, one of the things that I feel very lucky and proud that we've done is it's kind of interesting because we were in this taboo category and we weren't able to do Facebook advertisements in a lot of the ways that a lot of companies used to target new customers. So because those companies are suffering so much because, you know, nobody's clicking on those ads anymore and everyone's attention is on this COVID-19 situation that they're having a hard time bringing new customers in. But because we never actually had that as a channel, like we've built so many different ways where we're finding more organic people to come to our site. So we're not as, like, as affected. And then also just how we've, I think, built our company from the ground up. is just not really relying on retailers or distributors to send our products out. Because we're starting to get all these emails from retailers and distributors saying, like, we can't pay your POs anymore. We're not gonna be shipping anymore, we're not gonna be ordering anymore. And so companies that heavily relied on those like brick and mortar retail e-commerce distributor sites are hurting a lot. And so because we never actually did a lot of those traditional paths that I think a lot of times investors have told us to do, I think it could have hit us a lot harder. And you know, we'll have to continue to see what happens in the next few months up to a year in terms of like how do you fundraise and all of that in the midst of all of this? So I think it's that. And then also, it's like balancing, like, well, how can we be useful in this situation of like everybody's suffering? Like, how can we be helpful? Like, if we're not a super rich company where we can just pump money into different things. And so, I think all of us have actually found really interesting ways of like making the best of the situation. My co founder, Liz, she's actually created this website called maskmatch.com. And so, they're basically getting donations of masks and PPE and getting them directly to healthcare workers. And it started from her mom, who's a nurse at a hospital, they're locking up all these masks from the nurses, no matter like what level of intense issue, like things they're working with, like no nurse was allowed to have a mask. And so she just was so frustrated at that situation that she ended up starting this whole thing. And They recently got featured on Fox News and like all of these things. And so now there's just all these volunteers that are trying to gather as many masks as possible and matching them directly to healthcare workers. And then I've been trying to work at the Samaritan House down here in San Mateo, just getting groceries and hot meals out to people that are like in the elderly or disabled in some sort that can't go out currently to get groceries. So I think all of us are kind of figuring out ways to help when it's not that our company can like do big things like Amazon or whatever Google can. So. I think all of us are just trying to make, I don't know, just making sure that this is like, yeah, selling product is one thing and like making sure our company survives is one thing. But this is a global crisis. It's figuring out like how we as humans make this all work out at the end.
5: That's really awesome. You have invested so much of your personal time to really help in the situation, even given that you are a small company. Now, I was wondering if you could speak about your aspirations as a tech leader.
2: For me, it's kind of funny because I definitely started with this company being like, I want to be a great engineer. Like I want to be a great tech lead who's like very technical, very engineering driven and very hardware focused. I think that's where I came in and it was for the first three, four years. It's really not until like last year where you realize like, I think being a good leader is just so much more beyond like being a good tech leader. And so For me it's continuing to just build I to this day maybe it's one of my like vices is like I still continue carrying this weight of like I need to prove that the way we built this company and like the way we have our principles and like the way we hire the culture that we built works in Silicon Valley is a big like I needed to happen, and so all of us figuring out like how to run a team and making it as as best as possible, creating a great environment, all of that, I think is really important. Being very organized and very efficient on top of it, like everything together, I think, is very important to me. So I think it's really hard to be a good leader. You know, you hear it a lot with like managers, it's hard to be a good manager. So continuing to focus on how you put the time to grow people and the people in your team, and making it the best team you could possibly do, I think is a big aspiration for me to make sure that it's about being a good leader.
5: We also saw that you were a speaker for many events such as South by Southwest and various universities, and you were recently named Forbes 30 under 30. Now, many future entrepreneurs would like to learn more from these experiences, and could you tell us about how you came across these opportunities?
2: I would say, say I think once especially if you're in the entrepreneur space like it's like a hot topic like a lot of people want to learn how entrepreneurs decide to do what they do and like what drives people to do it so I think those opportunities kind of like naturally flow the South by Southwest we applied for and it's making the statement of like if you have us on a panel like you're making the statement that you believe that female sexual health is a sexual and health issue and not just like a Taboo, really gross, whatever stigmatized topic. And so, especially now, it's a big conversation that we want to have, especially with like gender equality and women in leadership and with the Me Too movement. So, I think we have a lot of thoughts around that because we're kind of in that category. So, we are given a lot of opportunities, but we also do actively search for them. But yeah, I feel like it's definitely building communities around you. So, We're part of Skydeck, which is the Berkeley Accelerator. We were part of Foundry. We're part of Stardex. So like being a part of those very amazing communities that are constantly trying to help and help each company grow, you will kind of start finding all those opportunities start popping up.
5: Wow, that's great that you mentioned that. Now, you've discussed everything that you've achieved so far with your company, and I was wondering what other goals you have separate from your company.
2: Oh, as a human? (laughs) Um... Good question. I I think I want to continue just building out skill sets. I think one thing I've learned is I really like solving problems. Maybe that's what all engineers say during interviews, but I don't know. Maybe that's why I became an engineer. Whenever like people are building a company or, you know, like we see the beautiful thing is we're seeing a lot more sex tech companies like female sex tech. We call it femtech. tech. So not just sex tech, but femtech companies coming out in the more recent years and the kind of nice thing is that we've been around for a little bit longer so being able to help those companies as much as possible so I would like to be like I feel like I've always been kind of a jack of all trades but master of none so figuring out like really using that skill set of just getting to learn about everything and anything that can just help plug and help people grow whatever they're aspiring to be and I think that's that's always been kind of my natural thing that I've liked doing. And I think now it's when I feel fully like I'm embracing it because I used to be so frustrated that I was like a jack of all trades, but terrible at one anything. But now I'm kind of liking that like, oh, it makes me be able to like plug different things like that you might not have thought of from some totally random, I don't know, like company that you would have never thought of as an inspiration for a sex tech company. So being able to continue growing just like knowledge about random things and also i would love to learn how to surf so much better than i am currently
4: (laughs) wonderful hey thanks a lot anna for your time for this and to bring about your own story and what kind of journey you have been through and i think it's truly like inspiring how what kind of things you have been able to do for the ones who are going to listen to podcasts what channels should they go to to learn more about lioness and about the products
2: yeah, definitely check out our website, lioness.io. You'll kind of get all your good and content information. And I always put this out there. My email is anna at lioness.io. If you ever have whatever questions, whatever, like ping me, because it's the least I can do in terms of like helping give back, like whatever you're struggling with, or you have questions with, like it's hard to find. I don't know, everything feels scary. I think especially as like a student is like, Pinging someone that's a working professional or whatever is like a scary feeling but do ping me if you have things that's my main email so yeah check out our website follow us on our social media because social media is important <laughs> and um yeah that's about it
4: wonderful hey thank you a lot it has been really ins- inspiring actually to hear about modis and i think the product is also like really really interesting and in how you can evaluate the data and all this so
2: Thanks. I appreciate it. Those are awesome questions. It's nice to like reflect sometimes of like questions about your life (laughs) journey and all that.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for just taking the time to speak with us. It was super insightful. Yeah. Thank
5: you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, Good luck to all of you. (laughs) All of you stay safe. It's definitely like totally weird times. I think none of us know what we're supposed to be doing. So. Do fun things, relax a little, bake bread, I heard that's a big thing, so um, <laughs> yeah, do cool things.
5: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much.
2: Sounds good, take care all of you.